Amen. Thank you, Robbie and Jim. Amen. Thank you. I'll tell you what, solo became duet right there. i tell you what, praise the Lord for willing people. Amen. Willing to be used in the Lord. What a blessing it is. We'll be in Psalm 128 this morning, returning there one more time, and then we will move on. I tell you, I could, I could stay uh, preaching on the home and the family year-round, I believe. It is something that is close to my heart. It's something that's where, where I live right now, and so I could definitely preach a lot on it. And we had intended to preach from Mother's Day to Father's Day on the subject, uh, but then we had some special services in between. So this morning, I'm going to try to wrap this up, and then we'll move on into something else. But boy, I tell you what, there's so much here uh, that I just feel uh, needs to be presented, needs to be dealt with, and it's something that applies to all of us, especially today as we'll be looking at this. We will be looking Looking a good bit at, you know, parenting in particular and raising children in particular, but we'll also be looking at roles that all of us play. You know, we are the family of God. We are the children of God, and we come together as one big family. And you know what? As, as parents, what a parent wants is they want role models that they can point their children to. And you know the role that you play. You say, Pastor John, none of this applies to me. I'm not sure why we're having to look at the home. Let me tell you what you are. You can be the role model that the parents are looking for. You can be that saint of God. You can be that faithful saint of God who they can tell their children, this is somebody you can look up to. This is somebody's life that you can watch. This is someone that you can aspire to be like. Give parents some role models. So this definitely applies to all of us. I believe it is a shame that many times the only role models that children have are outside of the church house. I'm telling you what, our church should be filled with role models. Brother Rader Odgen told me, he said when he was a young man and he was just starting into the ministry, he said it was the seniors of Marlbrook Baptist Church that got me where I was at. He said those people, those faithful people of God who came to me, who told me they were praying for me, who loved on me, those are the people that got me where I'm at today. And I'm telling you what, we need to have a church full of role models so those parents that are raising children have a group of people that they can point their children to. So we'll be in Psalm 128 this morning. Here in Psalm 128, we've read this passage several times, but I think it is so fitting to the subject that we are looking at this morning. It says, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace. Upon Israel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity and this privilege, Lord, that we have to be in your house. We thank you, dear Lord, for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the instruction of your word. And now, Lord, as we begin to dive into your word this morning, I pray, dear Lord, as we pull out these truths, and Lord, we look at these practical applications, these positive reinforcements, Lord, uh, uh, that we can apply, uh, Lord, to the principle and the practice of raising godly children. Father, I pray that we'll take them to heart. I pray, dear 
Lord, that we will live by them. Uh, Father, Lord, I pray that you will help us to be people, a uh, Lord, who work together, a uh, Lord, to invest in the next generation, that, Lord, we might be able to raise a people who will continue serving you. Father, I pray. And Lord, we'll thank you for your goodness. Bless. Lord, I pray in the children's service downstairs. I pray you be with those working in that ministry. I pray, dear Lord, that you will be with of Tom uh, uh, Woodson. Lord, I pray to the Lord that you will touch his body. I pray to the Lord that you will do a mighty work. I pray to the Lord you'll do a miracle. Father, I pray that you will restore Tom's health to him. I pray to the Lord you'll be with Steve. As Lord is Steve, uh, Lord is there with his brother, strengthening and encouraging his brother. I pray that you'll be with him. Uh, Lord, I pray that if Tom doesn't know the Lord, that Father, Lord, you will use this opportunity, this as an opportunity, that Lord, he may come to a saving knowledge of you. Father, I pray. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being in your house. Bless us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You say, Pastor John, why do you preach on this so much? Why are you so often preaching on raising godly children? Well, if you're here Wednesday night, Wednesday night, uh, we were looking at the last past several Wednesday nights, we've been looking at the condition of the pre-flood world. The Bible says, the Lord Jesus Christ said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And so as we are studying through the book of Genesis on Wednesday nights, which I'll just throw out here, if you don't come, you ought to. You would enjoy it. I promise you, you would. But anyway, we're studying through the book of Genesis and the last several Wednesday nights we've been looking at, at the condition of the world leading up to the flood and when we look at that we understand that we can learn from what happened in the days of Noah uh, what to expect in our day. And this past Wednesday night we was looking at, at how the church, uh, the godly people began to merge with the ungodly people and because of that merge, because of that coming together, the Bible clearly shows us there in Genesis chapter number 6, uh, it speaks of three generations in Genesis chapter number 6. It speaks of a generation of people uh, who were of a godly line. They came from godly families. Uh, but this people uh, married into ungodly people. Uh, and so we have that first generation of godly marrying into ungodly people. Then we have a second generation uh, of people illustrated there uh, uh, who grew up uh, with very little godly influence in their life. Uh, and then we see there in Genesis chapter number 6 that the Bible speaks of a a third generation. And it said that this third generation knew not God. And this third generation became men of renown. They became mighty men. In other words, they became the leaders. They became the rulers. They became the people who dictated what was taking place in the land, what was right and what was wrong. The third generation of people was people who had no godly influence in their life whatsoever. You back up three generations, you have godly people influencing their children for God. Three generations later, Later, there are people in leadership, descendants of godly people who had no godly inclination, had no moral compass, uh, that had no guidance whatsoever. You say, Pastor John, why do you preach so often uh, on the home and on the next generation? Because I believe uh, unless we continue to invest uh, in the next generation, we are two or three generations away from there not being a gospel light uh, in our community. We are two or three generations away uh, from our children. Not the children of the world, I'm talking about our children. We are two or three generations away from our children uh, being in places of leadership uh, with no moral compass whatsoever. 
whatsoever. I believe if there is anything that we need to preach and we need to preach it often and we need to preach it consistently is that we as a church must invest in the next generation. If there is anything that is of importance, it is that we invest in a generation that believes in God and stands for God and wants to do great things for God. If you look back over history, you will find that many of the revivals that swept across the United States uh, uh, back in the, uh, the days of revival, uh, many of those revivals were started by young people. Many of those revivals, the fire was ignited by teenagers and young adults who had raised up understanding that their parents had prayed and prayed for revival and they understood the importance of living for God and they were young people making a difference for the cause of Christ. I'm telling you what, if there's anything we need to preach, we need to preach on the importance of investing in the next generation and this is something that we as a church should do as a whole. This morning we're going to look at this thing of raising godly children. Here in Psalm 128, uh, we see that this scripture drives home the truth that our success is in direct relation to our effort. Our success is in direct relation to our effort. He said, Thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. What is turning out, what is happening to the next generation is a direct result of the amount of effort that we have put in to changing and making an impact on the next generation. So with this principle as our basis, we've been looking over the past few Sundays on raising children according to the Word of God. Thus far, we considered biblical authority. We looked at the fact that the Bible is the authority on how to raise children. doesn't matter what the world says is acceptable. doesn't matter what the world says works or doesn't work. The Bible is the authority. If you want to turn out godly children, you must accept that God knows more than anybody else on how to turn out good children. Not only did we look at biblical authority, but we looked at the parental responsibility. The fact that it is up to the parent to make a difference in the life of the child. God gave to parents the responsibility to ensure that the instruction, the influence, and the training that was being given to their children is in accordance with the truth and the principles of the Word of God. It is the parents' responsibility. It's not the public school system's responsibility. It's not the Sunday school's responsibility. It's not the pastor's responsibility. It is the parents' responsibility to make sure that the instruction, influence, and training their child receives is in in accordance with the principles of the Word of God. But then last week we began looking at practical applications. And we spent the entire message last Sunday looking at the biblical use of the rod. And really, we could probably preach another whole sermon on the biblical use of the rod. And the reason that we had to spend so much time on that subject is because uh, uh, there has been so many people who have abused and misused the rod that there have been others who have rose up and said the rod is no longer uh, effective. It's not something that we should use. And there's been much opposition to the use of the rod. So we spent a whole sermon last Sunday. If you weren't here and it's something that interests you, I encourage you to go look, at, look it up on Facebook or on the podcast and listen to that. Uh, but you can see that the Bible teaches uh, that the rod is a practical way uh, that we can train our children. But this morning we want to continue looking at these um, practical applications. There's a couple more I want to look at and then we'll look at some, at some positive 
reinforcements that I believe increase the effectiveness of actually whatever method of training you choose to use. In addition to the rod, a second method of training found in the Word of God is reproof. Another practical application of how do I, how do I bring about my parental responsibility? It's my responsibility to train my children. How do I do this? Last week we looked at the rod. This week uh, we see that the Word of God teaches reproof. I do believe that physical discipline must be accompanied by reproof. You say, what is reproof, Pastor John? Reproof is telling your child that they did wrong. That is reproof. Reproof is saying what you are doing is unacceptable. Uh, what you are doing is not something that you are allowed to do. What you are doing is something that will hurt your character. What you are doing must stop. Uh, reproof is telling your child that they have done or are doing wrong. Uh, there's a modern idea going around uh, that says that parents should listen to their children. And we're going to look at this just in a little bit. We're going to be looking at communication. That's something entirely different, and I do think in that realm, communication realm, you should listen to your children. But there's a thing that goes around that says you should listen to your children. In other words, uh, uh, you should let your t children tell you what they like. You should let your children tell you uh, uh, who they want to be. You should let your children tell you what they want to wear. You should let your children tell you all these things uh, and you as the parent just accommodate all that your children want. Well, I just have to tell you here this morning that that is nonsense. God gave me the responsibility of molding and shaping these children into the people that God wants them to be. He gave me a book that says, here's how I want people to turn out. And you as a parent have the responsibility of raising and training this young person so that this young person will be in accordance with the Word of God. So it is my responsibility as a parent to tell that child who they are, to tell that child what they're going to wear, to tell that child what they're going to eat. You say, hold on, Pastor John. Nope, you tell that kid what they're going to eat. You know what? I'm bad. I'm going to run rabbit trails all morning. I'm sorry. But I'm telling you what, whenever you let a kid tell you what they like, you'll have a kid 10, 12 years old that don't like nothing and they grumble about everything you put down in front of them and they just don't know how to enjoy a meal and you try to feed them and they whine and they pout and they cry and they're miserable to be around. Let me tell you something. Their taste buds ain't that good. You created a monster. I, I remember when I was about 10 years old, my dad was pastor in a church. They, we ran about 15 people. The church was in debt. Uh, dad didn't have a big income, and most of his money was going to pay the rent and pay the electric bill at the church uh, because the church didn't have any money. Uh, so we really didn't have much of anything. And uh, mom was gone. I forget, mom had gone somewhere, and it was lunchtime. And I was hungry. And I said to Dad, what are we having for lunch? He said, cabbage. I said, cabbage? He said, yeah, I got a head of cabbage out of the garden. I'm going to boil it. I'm like, I don't like cabbage. He said, okay. You're like, what a terrible dad. <laughs> no, you know what I did? I ate cabbage. 
I was hungry and I ate cabbage. It tasted awful. I don't even think he put salt and pepper in the water. He just boiled that head of cabbage and throwed it on the plate and we ate cabbage. You know what? He didn't even offer me anything else. He didn't say, I'll try to find you something else. He didn't say, well, I'm sorry, son. I said, I don't like cabbage. He said, okay. And he just started putting it on his plate. He just wasn't going to feed me. I mean, if I didn't like what we had, I could just go hungry. You're like, that's cruel and unusual punishment. Nope. I I tell you what, you put it in front of me. If it don't eat me first, I can eat it. There's very little chance that I'm ever going to go hungry. I mean, boy, I can put the food away. Don't matter what it is. You can put me out in the woods somewhere. I won't starve to death. Nope, I'll find something to eat. I'm telling you what, there's all kinds of it. And whenever you cater to every little thing that your kid says they want and you do not teach them and train them, you are failing as a parent. It is your responsibility to teach them to be an adult that's not hung up on all kind of things that never would have happened if you'd have taught them as a child. Whenever we raised our children, I was a little nicer than my dad. I told my children they were allowed to pick one food they didn't like. They had to eat everything else. But they could pick one. Some of them tried to be smart. Aiden picked mayonnaise. Because <laughs> that way... You know, he got out of egg salad and he got out of tuna salad and he got out, because it all had mayonnaise in it. I'm like, son, you can't work the system. <laughs> mayonnaise is mayonnaise. If it's mixed with something else, it don't count. One thing you don't like, you got to eat everything else. They'd sit down at the table. They'd be like, oh, I don't like squash. I say, oh, oh, you don't like squash. Is that your food? No, I pricked broccoli. Eat your squash then. End of the argument. And you know what? They knew there wasn't no sense arguing. i got to get back to preaching, I'm telling you. We ain't even going to get the message. <laughs> Reproof. When your kid says, look that, reproval. Kids, you out of line. This is a character flaw. Eat what's set before you and utter no other word for conscience sake. That's what the Bible says. That's a direct quote. That's a character flaw. Eat it. You don't want to eat it? Go hungry. Let me promise you, they will not starve to death. They will eat long before they develop any kind of physical illness. Let me just guarantee you that. So you don't have to feel like you're being cruel and unusual. Reproof, reproof. Telling your child that they have done wrong and just making sure they understand why they have done wrong. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It is your responsibility to train your children. When children behave in a way that is contrary to how the Bible says they should behave, it is your responsibility to correct that behavior. Proverbs 29, 17 says, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Whenever you see parents whose children are nothing but a source of stress, it's a key indicator that they have failed in the correction and reproof department. Because the Bible says, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight under thy soul. Every child is different. Every child has different strengths and weaknesses. But the discerning parent will be aware of those strengths and weaknesses and will be constantly working to develop 
those strengths and weaknesses. The third method of training, we have a rod, we have reproof. The third method of training found in the Word of God is instruction. Instruction. Reproof is correction, uncovering and improving on character flaws. Instruction is imparting wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to the child. This is teaching the child. This is instruction. This is making sure they understand how to do things. Making sure they understand what they're supposed to do. Instruction is explanation. Instruction is establishing principles, character traits, behavior, mannerisms that shape and mold the child into a respect person. Uh, uh, instruction is telling your child uh, that they are to look somebody in the eye when they're talking to them. Instruction is telling your child uh, to have a firm handshake. Uh, instruction is telling your child uh, to say yes sir and yes ma'am. Uh, instruction is teaching your children how to be good and respectable people. Uh, instruction is conveying to them the basic principles of life so that they understand how to do what it is that they are supposed to do. I was changing tires on my truck the other day and Kale was out there with me helping me, and I was showing her. I'm like, now, Kel, if ever you have a flat tire, uh, after you get grown up here, this is a lug wrench. This goes on here this way. Uh, you want to make sure that you have a little bit of tension on your tire when you break them loose. Then you jack it up, take them the rest of the way off. Showed her how to line the lug nuts up so she could put the tire back on. You're like, why in the world would you be teaching that to the girl? Because if she has a flat tire on the side of the road and no cell service, I want her to be able to get rolling again. Instruction, just teaching your children. Constantly taking time to instruct your children. Now, you know what? Don't just send them to the room and tell them to make their bed. Show them how to properly make a bed. Uh, don't tell them uh, to go mow the lawn and then yell at them because the lines are crooked. Show them how to make straight lines. Instruction. A parent should constantly be instructing their children, teaching their children. The word of God is full of scripture that clearly reveals that it's a parent's responsibility to instruct their child. Now I'm going to run another little rabbit trail here. Y'all going to have to start letting me preach longer. That's all there is to it. Y'all let me preach as long as I want. That was a joke, okay? <laughs> I, try, I try to let y'all out on time. Nobody has ever complained. Sorry, that came all out all bad. Anyway, I'm going to run another little rabbit trail here. It is not up to the child to decide if they want to be a girl or a boy. Now this is something that is permeating our world big time right now. But this is something that's been around for a long, long time. You have a, a boy that's a little soft and you have a mama who allows him to stay soft. Nope. Boys are to be men. Boys are to be strong. Boys are to be defenders. They are to be protectors. Uh, they are to be providers. If you have a boy that is soft, uh, then you toughen him up. Uh, I used to tell my boys they'd get talking and they'd get to squealing and, and they'd start sounding a little girlish. i say, boy, you better deepen that voice up or I'm going to make you eat sandpaper. I'm telling you what, I ain't going to have a boy that sounds like a girl. It ain't going to happen. Uh, I'm telling you what, we need to learn how to walk. Uh, my dad would make us boys. He'd say, follow me. And he'd walk as big and long steps as he could. He'd say, now you boys walk the same way. I don't want a boy that walks like a girl. You're like, you're getting all carried away on this. Let me tell you what. You are living with me in a generation that can't tell the difference between boys and girls because we came through a generation of people that wouldn't teach their boys to be men and their girls to be ladies. You say, well, just a minute ago you was telling your girl how to change a flat tire. Isn't that kind of manly? 
No, I think she needs to know how to change a flat tire. But I think that she also needs to know how to look pretty. I think she needs to know how to take care of a home. I think she knows how, needs to know how to raise children. I think that her overall demeanor ought to be that of a lady. I don't think at all that ladies are intended to be helpless. But I do think that ladies are to be ladies and men are to be men. It's not up to your child to decide if they want to be a girl or a boy. We are to instruct them who they are and how to act like who God made them. That's what we're supposed to do. Children don't get to decide when they go to bed or when they get up. They, we instruct them in those healthy character-building habits. Uh, children don't decide how much TV to watch or how long they play on their video game. Uh, they, they don't decide any of that. It's your responsibility to instruct your child. We as parents are given the responsibility as instructing them in all areas of life from the time they're an infant until they enter adulthood. And then we're to continue instructing anytime we see an area in their life that needs improvement. Instructing, instructing, instructing. The Bible is full of verses about instruction. But we're going to move on. The Bible instructs us that it's our responsibility to train our children. And we've looked at four practical applications, the rod, reproof, and instruction. But in addition to practical application, the Bible also teaches us the importance of positive reinforcements. Positive reinforcements. Knowing that it's your responsibility does not turn out good children. Knowing it's your responsibility don't turn out good children. Practical application helps you apply your responsibility. But application alone won't turn out good children. In order to turn out good children, there must be some positive reinforcements coming from you. These are some things that back up, support, and strengthen our application of the rod, our reproof, and our instruction. The method of parenting or leadership of any kind that says, do as I say, not as I do, is 100% ineffective. And we're going to look at this just a little bit more here in a moment. To tell a child, do as I say, not as I do, is 100% effective. There's the old illustration that helps illustrate this. Maybe we'll try it this morning. You hold your hand up there, everybody. Hold your hand up like this. Everybody hand up. One finger. Drop that down to one finger, everybody. Two fingers. Three fingers. I put those three fingers on your chin. Your chin. Down here's your chin. You know what this illustrates? That people do what they see, not what they're told. You can tell children anything you want to tell them, but they're going to do what they see. There's some positive reinforcements to training children. I've got four things here that I want to share with you. The first one is consistency. Consistency. I believe this is probably the most important word that you can memorize and apply to your parenting plan is consistency. If you are not consistent, you will be ineffective. There is nothing that will undermine and make your training ineffective like inconsistency will. Inconsistency is a training 
killer. You say, well, why is this? Well, if you're inconsistent, your child will interpret the rod as anger. Because if you're an inconsistent parent, that is normally the only time the rod will be applied is when you are angry. So the child will not learn from the rod, but rather the child will interpret the rod as anger. And it will be ineffective in molding them into who God wants them to be. If you are inconsistent, not only will they interpret the rod as anger, but they will interpret your reproof as nagging. If you are an inconsistent parent, then most likely the only time you will reprove your children is when they have gotten under your skin. And when they get under your skin, that is when you will tell them they're doing wrong. If they're not getting under your skin, you could care less what they're doing. But when they get under your skin, you go tell them you're doing something wrong. They will not learn from your reproof, but rather they will interpret your reproof as nagging. You be a consistent parent. You can be having a wonderful day but you see your child misbehaving, you've to put aside whatever you are doing and you go and you gently and, and uh, correctly reprove that child and they will understand that this is coming from a loving parent, not an irritated parent. Uh, inconsistency uh, interprets the rod as anger. It interprets the reproof as nagging and it interprets the instruction as unfounded. If the only time you feel the need to instruct them is when they have gotten under your skin, then they feel that the instruction is for your benefit, not theirs. And they have no need to listen to it. The most important thing you can ever learn in training children is be consistent. You might feel that there is nothing wrong with your child watching TV until midnight every night. Now, I totally disagree, and we can preach another whole sermon on why that's bad. But if that's what you have told their ch your child they are allowed to do, you better let them do it. And if you decide that you realize this is bad parenting, then you better sit down with them and admit to them, I made a bad mistake as a parent. I have, I have done, made some terrible choices, and I want to explain to you that there is a rule that we had established that I'm going to have to change. Here's why I'm going to have to change it. I understand this will be difficult for you. It's my fault that it's difficult, but we're going to work together on this, and that's how you make those changes. You be consistent. You want your training to be effective, you be consistent. I can't hammer it enough. I, I can't preach it enough. I, I feel like I ought to write a book on parenting and there only be one word inside the book, and that is consistency. You want to turn out good children, you be consistent. I, I am a big believer in the rod and reproof and instruction, but I truly believe and I have seen examples of people who have turned out excellent children who never spanked the first time because they were consistent. Consistency is by far the most positive reinforcer you can get. Consistent discipline will yield well-behaved, respectful children, but inconsistent training will yield bitter and rebellious children. You must, must, must be consistent. The Bible says in Matthew 5, verse number 37, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Ephesians 6, 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And believe me, there is nothing that will make a child angry at their parents faster than inconsistency. You must be consistent. 
And let me just mention this as well. They notice it at a very young age. If you are inconsistent, they pick up on it at a very young age. You forget who their creator is. He created intelligent beings, and they're sharp as a whip. And if you're inconsistent, they will pick up on it. Another positive reinforcement, I'll try to be very quick and finish this up for you. Another positive reinforcement, if I don't finish it, we're going to preach it again next Sunday. Another positive reinforcement is communication, communication. This goes along with reproof and instruction, but takes it a bit further. I said that earlier, you know, you don't listen to your children and they're telling you uh, these things about what food they like and when they want to go to bed, but you do listen to your children. I think that good parents talk to their children. They talk to them about their life. They talk to them about their interests. They talk to them about their desires. You find what excites you, your children. You find what makes your children smile. You understand their fears. You encourage their talents. You discuss their concerns. Uh, uh, you build a relationship of understanding between you you and your children. You ought to engage in deep, meaningful conversations with your children. You say, Pastor John, hold on. My child is four. My child is seven. My child is three. How do I have deep, meaningful conversations? Well, at three years old, uh, she is very interested in this picture that she has to tell you is a boat because you can't tell it's a boat, but she is very interested in this picture of a boat that she drew, and she wants to talk to you about it. And so instead of saying, oh, that's pretty, sweetie, you say, hey, bring it here, bring it here. Daddy wants to see it. Bring it here, bring it here. Let Daddy see it. Bring, bring it here. Oh, man, now show me. Show me. Where's the boat? Oh, right there's the boat. Yeah, that's a nice boat. Boy, you did a good job on that boat. Why'd you draw a picture of a boat? Oh, you like boats. Have you ever rowed a boat before? And you engage in a meaningful conversation with that three-year-old. Uh, whenever he's 10 years old, he's got a grasshopper in his pocket, and he wants to show you the grasshopper. Now, Mom, if you are this way, you can have this conversation from a distance, you know, out of grasshopper jumping reef. But you talk to them, hey, where's you catching the grasshopper? Do you like catching grasshoppers? You know, if you dip them in chocolate, they taste good. No, no you maybe don't say that. But you can have this conversation with your child and talk to them, you know. And you say, Pastor John, that's crazy. Let me tell you something. When she's three years old, that picture of that boat is important to her. And if you make it important to you, when she's 30 years old and there's a real problem, she's going to call you up and say, Dad, you always listen to me. I need to talk to you. You make it important when they're small, and they'll bring it to you when they're big. You say, I don't have time for the little things. Well, let me tell you, whatever stage of life they're in, it's all big things to them. Talk to your children. Communication. It's often been said they won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Another wise person said, listen to the little things when they are small so that they'll share the big things when they're grown, communication. A third reinforcement to your training is your priorities, your priorities. Your children pay attention to what is important to you. They notice what is important to you. And as they watch what is important to you, it helps them decide what's going to be important to them. Matthew 6, verse number 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. You know, we live in a day 
of modern convenience that has filled our life with unnecessary busyness. You get to the end of the day and there's so many things you wanted to do that you didn't get done, but you can't remember what you did because our lives are full of unnecessary busyness. And because of that unnecessary business, there is not a day that goes by that you do not decide, I'm going to prioritize this and let that slide. It happens every day of your life. There is things that you choose. I will do this and not this. I will choose this, but let that go. This has more importance to me than that does. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's what we have to do in order to get through life. But let me tell you, your kids are paying attention to what you pick. They are paying attention. If you let your Bible reading slide so you can watch the news, they notice. If you watch the football game instead of the live stream, they notice. They're having an activity at the church, but we wanted to go to the lake instead. They notice. They notice. You say, Pastor John, there's nothing wrong with the news. There's nothing wrong with football. There's nothing wrong with the lake. I agree. I agree completely. But I'm saying that your kids are noticing what your priorities are. And here's the thing. They're not recognizing that you prioritize football and the news and the like. No. They're recognizing that you prioritize you. They're realizing that your priorities are self first, God second. And when they become grown... They may not have any interest at all in the news or going to the lake or watching football. Their interest may be 100% completely different. Their interest may even be something that you would never ever consider doing or partaking in, but you taught them that self was first and God was second. You want to raise godly children, you pay attention to your priorities. And then last of all, Another positive reinforcement, and, and I could preach two or three messages on this, that is your example. This goes right along with priorities, but this is even more home. I believe the most powerful training tool you have available to you is your example. There is not a more powerful training tool in the world an example. Matter of fact, I have told people many times that books, PowerPoints, notes are all things to help us with our example, but that the example is truly the only teacher we have. There is nothing more powerful than your example. And I want to bring this one in and include everybody in the church, uh, whether you're a parent uh, raising small children, whether you're a grandparent, whether you've never had any children. Let me tell you, if there is one thing that will influence the children of the next generation, it is our example. Matter of fact, that is what will influence our children for the next generation, uh, is our example. And so if the next generation turns out uh, that they don't have much interest in God, it is because they've watched uh, some people uh, who didn't prioritize God uh, and they have learned from that example. Uh, the next generation will be proof uh, of what we exemplified in this generation. Uh, if we want the next generation to turn out... Uh, they need to see an example of people who love God, who follow God, who live for God, who prioritize God. And they need some people that they can look at, that they 
can follow. The most powerful tool we have uh, is uh, our example. Uh, Our children are watching us every day in every situation and they are deciding who they want to be based on what they see in us. This is both exciting and scary because I have the potential to turn out a child who is head over heels in love with God or I have the potential to turn out a child that has no interest in God. Simply on what they see in me. They're going to watch me and what they see in me is going to mold who they are. You know what? A lot of times you'll see a child misbehaving. Maybe he's losing his temper. Something didn't go his way and he's losing his temper. Maybe he says a word he shouldn't say. Maybe it's not a cuss word, but it's one of them slang words, you know, that he shouldn't say. Maybe he's, maybe he's being a little greedy and me first. And parents will say this comment. We've probably all been guilty of it. I don't know where he learned that. After a few years of raising kids, you know where I started learning to look? I started figuring out where this was coming from. I'd go look in the mirror. I'd say, John, you better shape up, brother. You say, what are you talking about? Well, you see, if something don't go my way, I'm working on my car, and I can't get that bolt out, and I finally just lose my cool and punch the fender and throw my ratchet across the yard, oh, in my mind, that was completely justified. But that little three-year-old just recorded, by example, that it's okay to throw a temper tantrum when things don't go my way. And so then later on, I'm like, it's time for you to go to bed, little buddy. But first we've got to pick up our toys. And he falls on the ground, kicks his legs in the air, and screams bloody murder. And you're like, where did he learn that? Go look in the mirror, brother. That's where he learned it. You taught him by example that it's okay to do that. They watch and they learn. I, I, I was with a parent. And they corrected their child for using a slang word. They said, ah, we don't say that around here. But this child was about 10 years old, you know, able to uh, articulate what he was thinking a little bit. And he's like, Mama, I learned it from you. I don't say that. You say it all the time, Mom. They learn by our example. You look at what's going on in your kid's life, then you go look in the mirror and you say, God, show me. How am I teaching this to my children? They learn from our example. We could go on and on and on looking at this. But there's no doubt that children pick up and adopt your good habits. They pick up and adopt your bad habits. They follow your example in things that don't matter. They follow your example in things of significance. They mimic how you respond to others. They mimic how you react to stress. Uh, They mimic how you handle difficulty. They pick up your character traits. Uh, They pick up your personality flaws. Uh, They adopt your vocabulary and conversation. They develop according to what they see in you. If you want to raise godly children, Yes, there's some practical application, the rod and reproof and instruction, but it is all nullified if there's no example. It's all ineffective if there's no example. We must be an example. Paul told Titus in Titus chapter number 2, he said in verse number 7, in all things, showing thyself 
a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. We are to be an example. Ourself. We need to be the people that we want our children to become. Telling your children, hey, don't do that because I don't want you to turn out like me, doesn't work. Tell them as Paul said, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Tell your children, follow me because I'm chasing God. Be an example. Be an example. I'm going to ask you all to stand. Miss Debbie's going to come to the piano. Parents, we need the covenant in our heart that we are going to be the parents that raise godly children. We're going to be the parents who do our part to fulfill our parental responsibility. Church people, we need the purpose in our heart that we're going to be an example. That the parents of this church can point their children to any one of us and say, there's somebody you should strive to be. We should purpose in our heart that never will there be a time that a kid from this church is going to come home and say, Dad, I saw brother so-and-so and he was doing this. Dad's going to have to sit down and say, son, I'm sorry, he shouldn't have been doing that. We need to purpose in our heart that we'll never, we'll never be a stumbling block for the next generation. We will be the example that they can look to and they can aspire to. Miss Debbie's going to play. As she plays, if the Lord spoke to your heart, you come. Thank you for being in the Lord's house this morning. I pray that's been encouragement. I pray that we take it, we learn by it, we live by it, and we do our best to have the next generation that lives for God. Speaking of the next generation, tonight is our next generation service focusing on our teens. Pastor Kent will be preaching. The teens will be involved in the service. This isn't a service for the teens. This is a service for you to come and be an encouragement to the teens. And so do your best to be here tonight and listen Pastor Kent preaches and encourage the young people. Also, make sure you get by Brother Robbie, shake his hand, let him know that you're going to be praying for him while he's gone this week, that the Lord do a work in his life, and just pray that the Lord 
will be a blessing to him. I'm going to ask Brother Randy, if he would, to pray and dismiss us from the service. Lord, we thank you for preaching your word. Father, help each one of us, Lord, that we may be an example, may be an influence in someone else's life. Father, we just pray that you be with us. Lord, just pray that you dismiss your love, bring us back to the next point in time. In your name we ask it. Amen. Amen.